this is the Revolution Now podcast. Royalty-free music created by us, played by us. Feel free to use it. We won't plagiarise you. Welcome to the Revolution Now podcast. I'm Farah. I'm Danby. And through this podcast, we ask you, the listeners, to join us and to educate to organize and, and to, to agitate <laughs> we will we will get it in time in in one time soon hopefully. hopefully um so just a quick disclaimer before jumping into today's episode this podcast is being made remotely um with us both isolating in two different locations um just just to get that out there um and second disclaimer which will not be as long as the previous podcasts disclaimer i promise um so we received a few comments on the podcast's instagram which is at revolution our podcast um saying we should talk about specific topics and how dare we not mention them topics that um kind of relate to where we're from um this was part of the reason i did that huge disclaimer last week um because we have so much we want to touch on um so just bear with us um and we also want to cover you know so many topics causes struggles injustices um and as allies that comes from us providing a platform i.e this podcast to individuals from those struggles and those communities and as a palestinian like i know how important it is to have palestinians narrating our struggle and in that sense like we want to extend that as an ally to all those causes um so hopefully in future episodes we will have guests and guests who can articulate and express their cause and struggle better than anyone else um javi do you want to add um i just want to say we're open to receiving oh my my god God. just keep going just keep going you'll end soon (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah, go on on. it's Um, It's real life podcast guys real time real time (laughs) Um, I'm hoping that in future episodes that we will be able to cover everything. Just give us time, and um, if you want us to ever cover anything, just let us know. Um, you know, be sure to phrase it nicely. Um, but eventually, we want to cover most topics. Uh, this is only the third episode, so bear with us, and we just hope that we don't disappoint. Couldn't agree more, couldn't agree more. (laughs) Um, So jumping straight into today's podcast. So today's podcast is a little different and um, is in essence a a one-off podcast. We wanted to create a podcast episode where we give some um, serious food for thought. And in this podcast episode, we'll be delving into the everyday mundane, the everyday experiences um, that make your life more political than you think. Um, So... um, we want to show you just how accessible politics is essentially and just how politics dictates our everyday lives and and why now more than ever we need to be as proactive as we can in fighting to make this world a better fairer place so grab a drink perhaps a milkshake (laughs) like the one that was thrown over Tommy Robinson grab some food perhaps a pie like the one that was thrown over Murdoch during the Leveson inquiry and um Um, and yeah let's begin um so we're going to be going through everyday topics um and topics that kind of are relevant in every single person's life on this planet um but before that we want to quickly go into how we met um just as you know a light segue (laughs) into these topics um how me and Janvi how we met um so I'll just I'll just start it off (laughs) um uh Let's keep that secret. Let's yeah. keep oh, that yeah. a secret. <laughs> oh, yes. 
<laughs> you know, people knowing deets. Um, we're 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 old and wise, guys. Old and wise. Very old and wise. <laughs> um. Anyway, so we met in the first year of college. So college, like for some people who aren't in the UK, is sixteen to eighteen that kind of time in your life so just before going to uni because I was explaining this to someone the other day from America they're like oh my god you start college at like 16 I'm like no babes no that's a different 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 system um so yeah we met on our well we met on the first day of college outside our first history class destiny Janvi destiny Yes, it was. I'm just sorry, I had a flashback to that very moment. I went a bit quiet there. Oh, yeah, take it away, take it away. What happened? Um, So I just remember sitting down in Roy's lesson. <laughs> that was our history teacher who really loved us. His name was Roy. Um, I just remember sitting down and I think the only empty seat was like next to you. Or I can't remember if it was the other way around whether you came in and sat next to me. I don't remember. And um, I didn't know anyone. And then you just turned to me and you're like, where are you from? <laughs> I said, I said, Kingston. And you're like, no, 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 no. Where are you from? I'm like, Kingston. And I'm, thinking, I'm thinking, who is this kid? I'm like, seriously, why does she keep asking me where I'm from? And then finally, she, she, finally, I told her where I was from. I said, I'm Indian, British Indian, or just Indian, however you want to say it. And she's like, oh, okay, okay, I'm Sarah. <laughs> right let me just explain myself so basically um prior to meeting Janvi I had befriended this girl and um she she told like I didn't know where she was from I didn't really care um and one like when one politics lesson she suddenly like blurted out well in this politics lesson we all had to point on this map to where we were from and um I was like I'm from Palestine and she actually initially posted, like, she pointed to Bulgaria and Romania. And then suddenly when I said Palestinian, she goes, well, actually, I'm actually Israeli. And I was Whoa. like, oh. So basically, she was very Zionist and just very kind of on the line of dehumanizing Palestinians and basically saying, oh, well, you're not really Palestinian, you're just Arab. Um, so from that experience, I just had to, you know. You learned. I had to vet everyone that I was to come in contact with. Um, I just remember coming out of that lesson, like, I don't think I'll be friends with that person. <laughs> right if you had been through what i'd been through jambi the deception okay then you would have been the same (laughs) and look where we are today no but i also just like to ask because sometimes well in well in the college we went to it was like very diverse and we literally that's probably one of the like the few good aspects about that college is that it was very diverse and like i made friends with so many different people from different backgrounds different cultures um so yeah, sometimes it's an interesting question to ask when you are in that kind of um, environment. Um, what A-levels did you do, Janvi? I did history, communication and culture, and English language and literature. What about you? Oh, I couldn't have done English lit, bloody hell. No, um, honestly, lit, no, never. I had to do language and lit. I cannot do Shakespeare. I can't, I can't deal with it. It's just I can't. <laughs> um, I did history, politics world development and philosophy um but i ended up dropping philosophy in second year because what a train wreck that (laughs) class was i'm sorry like our first teacher got fired because he like he bitched about the college in his autobiography (laughs) (laughs) and his autobiography it was called something like the tennis racket or something um so yeah our first teacher got fired and then we were left with like substitutes that weren't there for a long time um and there was yeah there was one substitute who just always used to make us watch the matrix 
like that even just <laughs> I mean is it that philosophical though <laughs> like every like and he would try to like pull out these philosophical meanings and there just were none um, and then we the had another red teacher or the blue pill <laughs> which one it li- I swear to god he did mention that um and who else oh the other guy I think you know the other teacher Jamby um Chris Eubank <laughs> Yes, I remember. He, he honestly just used to go on tangents about his life. And then sometimes just not even about his life. He just started talking about rant. I think I told you about the dog story. Yes, you did. Um, yeah, and then obviously there was that weird guy. I don't want to go on too many tangents, but there was that weird individual called Joseph. Well, his name actually wasn't Joseph, but you know who I'm talking about. Yeah, yes. I I, I, oh, God. He, kept, he Literally, in the class, he would always choose to sit next to me. And he was just a strange individual. <laughs> All I could say is strange, strange individual. So it made the, the option of dropping philosophy much, um, easier. much easier. Yeah, <laughs> he, I used to literally sit next to him in class. He would take off his shoes and just start smelling them. And then okay. like making a noise that, you know, Whoa. was determined by what he smelled. And then even the map thing. Do you remember the map thing? Oh, yes. All right, go on, go on. So <laughs> basically... We used to, back in the day, me, Farah, and um, another one of our friends, used to go to the classrooms and have our lunch. Even though you're not allowed to, you have to only stay in like the common areas, but we were rebels. Um, and we were going to go to our usual classroom, and we noticed that Joseph was in there already. Um, so I walked in, and he's just there, like, looking at a map. And then I just, you know, to be polite, just started talking to him. And I was like, yeah. And he asked me to come closer, and I was scared. I was like, oh, God. Then he asked me to come even closer, and I was like, oh, my God, what does he want? And then he's, like, stroking the map. <laughs> he's stro- but he's stroking a place on the map called Farah, and I legged it. I, I didn't know what to do. I just ran out of there. I was like, I couldn't do it. And then we actually Googled it. There is a place, like, called Farah, my name, in, in Iran. Um, I think it's Iran, but, yeah, it was, yeah... He was a strange individual. That was too much. That was very too much. Yeah, he was just very strange, and he did, had no like idea of personal boundaries. I mean, one girl just threw her drink over him. I remember Whoa. that. In the co- Do you not remember that in the corridor? No, I feel like I sort of remember that, but oh yeah, he he uh, he, he was a strange one. I remember at that oh, like a few years God. later, I saw him outside a train station, um, and he was handing out leaflets. This was a few years later. He was handing out leaflets for people to leave the EU. Whoa! Strange, strange dude, strange Whoa. dude. Um, just to join from that story, so me and ja- me and Janvi obviously met um, in a history class in college, um, and for the first year, so it's two years. For the first year, we were in the same class, and our teacher Roy um, really didn't like us, and he was just really rude. Um, he told us to shut up, like straight in our faces. Yeah. Um, I mean, at one point, I did leave the class, and then he like um, sent a letter home. But he didn't clock that. Obviously, I get home before my mum in it, so I hid that shit. Um, <laughs> and then he started emailing my mum because she wasn't responding to the letter because of, <laughs> I destroyed you were it. Hiding it. <laughs> anyway, he just really didn't like us. Um, and then he didn't was... like you. He just didn't like me by association. <laughs> he knew you from before. He just didn't like you from association. I don't know what I ever did to the man. Um, in the second year of history, we actually ended up being in the same class again with Roy and um he, he literally he came into the class literally two steps in saw that me and uh Jamie were sitting next to each other and in the same class he goes no this is no. not happening again yeah. no no this is not happening again <laughs> he literally went straight out and then changed our names on the registers and made yeah, me and Jamie separate yeah he moved me to a different class 
he tried to split us up, brother. He tried to split us up. It didn't um, work, though. And it didn't work. Like, a few years later, we were on the district line. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, me and Jan, we were on the district line. And then one carriage down, and the district line, there's no doors between carriages. So you can see, like, right to the where the driver's driving. Um, and me and Jan, we spot Roy. There he was. <laughs> and we were like, hey, Roy, Roy. Well, no, Roy, you Roy. did that. You could have split us up, Roy. (laughs) Let me just paint a quick picture, right? So we're sitting and we clock. And then I just turned around and I'm like, don't do it. Don't do it. Like, I see she's sort of like psyching herself up to like shout in a public, like on a public (laughs) shoot. So I'm like, please don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. And what if she goes, she's like, Roy! Roy! (laughs) And then then he looks up at us and he just starts shaking his head. He literally put his head in his hands, shaking it. Not having it. (laughs) (laughs) And then when he get off, when he got off the train, he just got off so fast that we couldn't even see him and catch up to him. He was gone. (laughs) Oh, it does really crack me up. Um, I did see him actually a little while after that. Um... (laughs) Well, Jambi doesn't believe me. I don't believe. This was true. I did see him actually coincidentally at the same straight, uh, the same station, and he was on the bench, um, just sipping a Smirnoff ice. I I saw him. I'm telling you, it was him. You. It was Roy. It could have been a WKD, but I don't know. I didn't get no. too close to see. <laughs> I will say that he hated me up and like even in second year, even though I wasn't in the same class as you. I was sat next to these other three people and they asked but we were talking about the work they asked me a question I answered and then he started shouting at me for disrupting the class and I literally just lost it I just lost it I was like I'll have you know they asked me a question I was answering why don't you shout at the other people so not only did his hatred start in the first year went all the way to the end of second year I'll tell you that and he started getting weirdly passive aggressive in corridors I do remember that like he would just walk past us be like love you Farah yeah, and and I found it very creepy it was and very, just weird. very disturbing. Um, and obviously it was just a passive aggressive comment. Um. <laughs> it's very weird, very weird. And yeah, I know. Okay, so now onto the main content of today's podcast, onto the everyday ins and outs of our very much political lives. So we're going to go through step by step, like different aspects of our lives that are political that we all experience. Um, and the first. Uh, aspect is racism and we did cover um quite a lot about this in the previous podcast so if you want to tune into episode two please do um but this uh, aspect obviously racism we uh, wanted to touch on again because it is just something that we do all um experience one way or another whether we are directly a victim of it or the ones perpetrating it um so yeah we were going to jump in straight with um the same history class in college, which obviously college made a big indent into our lives. Yeah. Um, so we had this lesson by a teacher called um, Janet. And um, she was teaching us about the civil rights movement, um, about Martin Luther King. And obviously we all know just how, you know, incredible and pivotal Martin Luther King was in the civil rights movement. However, she she started like well she would tell us in lessons like oh my god he was an adulterer um you know guys give us some criticism for why um selma wasn't good or give us criticism to why selma um yeah she would try to make us criticize 
just so his direct actions in the civil rights movement um yeah exactly it's inappropriate it's it's also kind of like outrageous that a white teacher is you know encouraging her class to criticize uh, a black leader's actions in the civil rights movement i just find it really outrageous but can i just say right when you're teaching just stick to the book it didn't mention that in the textbook <clears throat> i'm not going to put it in my final paper so just stick to the facts like is what we're supposed to be learning in an unbiased way exactly it, it was clear what way that she was turning and i just i thought it was just really wrong even at that age just sitting there listening to her say that i was like this can't be right and also just to add he was not an adulterer and there was nothing to criticize when it came to selma or any of his direct actions in the civil rights movement or his efforts and also she she brushed over the fact that he was assassinated by the cia by the fbi it's kind of insane like today the u.s has you know an mlk day um when they assassinated him then they assassinated him like over a long time. They would send him letters telling him he's gonna die. Didn't he survive his house being bombed and like yeah. all of these assassination attempts? Not, and this wasn't even that long ago Bruno, either. Not to even mention the fact that his family don't even believe the guy that killed him actually killed him. They believe he was framed. And also the other thing that shocked me is the fact that a lot of these civil rights leaders they like to show us pictures in black and white when yeah. there are some pictures in colours to actually show you it wasn't that long ago. Think about when your parents were born. I mean, you know, if you're around the same age as us, which we won't say, it's like in their, it's like in their lifetime, you know. And it's just kind of crazy. It's not that long ago. Like the picture of um, Little Rock, um, and when you see the girl, uh, well, she's a woman now, and you see her now, like she, she literally, she, she's not old at all. She's not. But the way they, yeah, the way they posted everything, like all the video footage in black and white, the photos in black and white. Um, they make it seem like, you know, society has really changed since then, which obviously it really hasn't. Um, so, yeah, I just wanted to go through um, a very quick, like, personal uh, racist experience. Um, so, sorry about that, I have a creaky chair. So, <laughs> um, in the same philosophy lesson where we would watch The Matrix, um, there was a guy in my class, and he was Muslim. He was quite quite visibly uh, visibly Muslim, um, and he like so if like some people were allowed to have like the college's own laptops in lessons to help them write if they found it easier than physically writing whatever, um, and the the laptops were very crap. Like they would like they would log out after an hour, and they would make a weird noise and log out after an hour. His laptop logged out, and it made like a weird, you know, beeping noise. And um, this boy in the back of the class was like, "Oh, his bomb went off. Did his bomb go off?" Oh my gosh! Um, and honestly, like, like you know, you know, in movies, like when people's lives pause, and it's like a few seconds, but it feels like hours. It was literally like that. I could not believe what I heard. I literally just turned around, like, "Sorry, what did you say?" Because I couldn't believe my ears that he said that. And then he started getting uh, like antsy. He's like, oh, no, I, 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 I didn't say any, anything. Yeah. We didn't have the guts to say it again. I know. And I, was, I couldn't, honestly, I could not believe it. And I, I said to the, the guy with the laptop, I was like, did you hear what he said? And he's like, no, I didn't hear it. I was like, well, I, 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 I couldn't believe it, mate. I did report him to the philosophy teacher um, at the end of the lesson. But yeah, the philosophy teacher's absolutely useless. Chris Eubank, absolutely useless. He didn't do anything. Um, but yeah, that was just one experience. Um, Jamie, do you want to go into your experience? Yes, it was actually at a workplace. Um, this was a few years ago. Basically, I was helping another team, but my manager was still sort of in the same area. 
And uh, while I was helping this team, one of the ladies on the team used to just joke about somebody else. So she'd say, oh, you and um, you and Rob, you and Rob. Sorry, it's the only name I could think of. You and Rob, yeah, you and Rob, you know, you guys should go out, you should do this. And me and Rob were friends, so we just thought it was funny. We'd laugh it off and then move on. And she'd do it over the course of a long time. But to be honest, it could bother a lot of people, but it just didn't bother me because... I knew it wasn't my team. I wouldn't be there for long and then I'd be going back. So it just didn't bother me. I thought it was funny, whatever. And then one day she came to me while I was having my lunch, a lady that was making those comments and just said that your boss said to me that although you look modern and you dress modern, that you still come from a strict Indian family. You still come from a strict family. And I just thought to myself, I've never spoken to my boss about my family. I've never spoken about my life outside of work. Why should I? Um, and it just sort of like, do I need to turn up in a sari and a bindi? Like, I, do, I just don't understand. What do you want me to wear to work? And I just thought it was so inappropriate to bring ethnicity into a conversation when it really doesn't need to be made out to be a big deal. I mean, it blew up to be some sort of really big deal. And really, it was just like a minor joke. And I just thought it was just a bit rude sort of like microaggressions and I just picked up on that and it just upset me really I didn't know and at that time I didn't know who to speak to or what to do or who I could turn to to sort of be like hey what do I do I still felt like I was too young at that time if this was to happen to me now I think it'd be a completely different story because I just feel like I wouldn't stand for that sort of behavior now yeah I get I get what you mean and this is honestly just that was clearly racist um and I just I, I can't understand some people where um they i just can't believe the person that said that to you like why would you even if you did hear it or whatever like why would you repeat that to i just i don't know i just really can't understand some people i don't know it just made me feel like i felt like am i supposed to cry what am i supposed to do i just i did feel like i mean i did tear up a little bit because i just thought why why i don't know like i why are you being singled out and having this said about you exactly i feel like I don't like when people say, you know, I don't see colour. I feel like, yes, I see colour and I acknowledge it and I like to see people from different sort of paths of life all come together. But I just felt like, why does that have to be brought into a conversation about work? It's a workplace that should stay professional. Um, I don't think anything that I did impacts the way I was working. I was working hard. So, you know, whatever. That shouldn't have been brought in and made into an issue when it wasn't one. I feel you. I feel you. Um... And just to go on from that as well, um, so like a few other racist experience that we experienced, I feel like the majority of mine were kind of growing up. Um, so I had one when I first started school. Um, so this girl had a party and she literally invited everyone, like a birthday party, and she literally invited everyone um, except me um, in the class. Um, so I asked her like during one playtime, one break time, um, and she was with her sister at the time, who was like two years older. I asked her like, why, why wasn't I invited? Did I do something wrong? Did I do something to hurt your feelings? Like, why wasn't I invited? Uh, imagine like in a whole class of 30, you're the only one not to be invited. And she made a big display of giving everyone an invitation. And the invitation was like, <clears throat> the invitation was like in a, in a box and people got stuff in the box. Like, just imagine like being the only one not getting that. Um, so I just asked her like, um, why, why wasn't I invited? Um, and she literally said, because my mummy said she doesn't want a racist P word um, in our house. Wow, that's awful. And then the girl's sister said, oh, but she, my mum doesn't mean you. My mum means your dad. Just like, just God. imagine that. Like, then trying to justify it further on, like, 
Anyway, anyway. What those... must their parents be like, though, to raise them? Like, awful. That, to be able their parents to must that. be awful. Um, yeah. That was just one one experience. And those two girls, like, they, like, bullied me for the whole of that. Like, before, I actually had to move from that school because oh of God. the extent it got to, because they actually, like, ended up, like, getting violent and they cracked my head open. Wow, um, that's horrible. But, yeah, it was just all because of, it was racist bullying, essentially. Um, even going to school, like, in the other schools I would go to after that, um, like, even bringing in, like, sometimes I would have... Um, uh, Zator sandwiches. You've had it before, Janvi. Very tasty, by the way. Very tasty. <laughs> anyway, it's very green, and people are like, oh my god, ew, what's that in your sandwich? Ew. Um, basically, it's like a mix of herbs, thyme, I sesame seeds, that. oregano, sumac. Yeah, and um, they would just use bully, and they were like, oh my god, it stinks, it stinks, and it, literally, it doesn't even smell. Um, it doesn't. It, it's very tasty, and it actually smells I... nice. It smells herby. Yes. Sorry, you're not used to seasoning, love. Um, <laughs> That's the one. No, but that's the literally the one thing that I hate is like people doing it to you at school. Like, obviously, I used to get oh, um, you know, smell like curry stuff like that. Just, just like so horrible, in, so inappropriate. And honestly, I'm sorry that that happened to you. That they got violent with you. That's just not acceptable, especially for kids. But I don't understand what their home life must be like to be able to put hands on somebody they don't even know. I just yeah, especially at that age. Like I just remember being that age and just like. Not so innocent, yeah. yeah. I just can't understand someone being filled with so much hate at that age. So the next aspect is classism. So we wanted to start this, open this up with something that is kind of recent, semi-recent. Is it the free school meals, Marcus Rashford? Love you, Marcus. Love you, Mark. Um, big M, big M, big M, big M. Um, so basically, for people who don't know, um. This well, the UK used to be, um, in essence, a welfare state. There used to be a lot of publicly funded services, you know, um, free healthcare, free school meals. Um, just after the Second World War, we had a prime minister called Clement Attlee. This is all from my memory now, so this yeah. is from history class in college. Um, but yeah, he wanted to eliminate, eliminate. <laughs> He wanted to eliminate the, was it the seven giants or five giants? Yeah. Anyway, so he implemented things like, you know, free school meals and other stuff like that. Um, and slowly, slow, but slowly, but slowly, the, the conservative government is taking all of those things away. Um, and it's actually really disgusting to see the number of people, um, well, the number of MPs that voted against kids getting free school meals um, in the House of Commons. It was really disturbing. Um, it was also disheartening. As somebody who was on free school meals and knows how crucial it is it's just disheartening to see that kids that were in the position that you were in or worse positions than you were in have to sort of worry about when they're going to have their next meal which I really appreciate Marcus Rashford's campaign to sort of end child hunger but I just didn't I just don't know why he actually did in the first place if the government wouldn't have voted against extending free school meals. I just don't understand that. Exactly. And to the extent where we have like four million, over four million children in this country in absolute poverty, like they're literally having to go to KFC, take some ketchups, the, the ketchup sachets that are free, go home and literally boil their kettle. They can only boil it like once a day and try to make soup out of the hot water and the the ketchup sachets that's the extent this country is in four million kids that's their reality um mm. and how and even the whole scan like handing out the the contracts for the free school meals to this um 
to this company, you know, where one of the the owners of the company was a friend of one of the conservative MPs, um, and they gave them this huge contract. And apparently, it was thirty thirty pounds this meal package that these kids would get for a week. Um, and it's like this box. So basically, they would have thirty pounds. They used to give them vouchers. They used to give like people who needed it vouchers so they can go and buy their lunches, whatever. But obviously, conservatives have come out with their classist stereotypes. And there's one specific MP, I can't remember his name now, just absolute horrific Tory bumlick, recently elected in a constituency that's never been conservative before. Very disturbing. Um, and he literally said, oh, my God, like we shouldn't be giving um, free school meal vouchers anymore because um, the parents are using them in crack dens. Wow. And these really horrific, obviously completely false um, stereotypes about working class people. Considering that we're literally in a pandemic where people have lost their jobs or maybe if they're furloughed, they're not making the same amount and they have to pay rent in whatever. Why are we taking away something else from hundreds? Literal food. You're taking away food. The basic right. Like people are starving. It's a basic necessity. It's not an addition. It's not like something that you, you know, you want but don't need it's actually something you need to have exactly and the way in which like so they gave this huge contract to this tory conservative company who um gave kids like a carrot in a box and like two slices of bread and uh, like three pieces of pasta in a bag um it was just absolutely outrageous they thought oh sorry and an apple um that they thought that was substantially a meal for hungry kids for like an entire week it's just absolutely disgusting and the fact that a footballer um younger than all of those mps um is out there raising money and providing kids with breakfast clubs with free meals um it just shows the the extent like how our society is a classist society and how the working class um are just completely underrepresented um I mean, even to the point, like, we obviously had a political party leader uh, who said there's no such thing as society. That's conservative party leader. That was Thatcher, the milk snatcher. Um, How people think because, you know, um, generally people are making a bit of money or people just become eligible for a mortgage that they're doing well. Um, Like, babes, have you ever thought, like, why in the hell should mortgages even exist in the first place? Like people, I feel if you are like in in the society we live in today, consumerism plays a big part. So where people think like they can now afford more objects or more commodities, um, they feel they're doing substantially better than other people. And then there's a lack of care for everyone else. And that's the kind of society we live in. Like people aren't becoming more well off. Obviously, the gap between rich and poor is becoming ever more wider. Um, it's just that there's there's more objects that will kind of, you know, disillude people into thinking that they're better off and other people are better off because they're not, because they're better off with the illusion of more things and more mindless objects. Um, and just, I guess, another point into classism. Um, I feel like me and Janvi were kind of, um, I don't know, we were just starting to become politically active during david cameron's um time in office and obviously a lot came to light um when david cameron first took office obviously the bullingdon club um this you know elitist little club um for rich boys who go to oxford cambridge um and they used to burn 50 pound notes in front of homeless people they would destroy local businesses and local restaurants um they would completely like ransack like a small um, Chinese takeaway shop. And then they would say, oh, whose father's going to pay for this and then leave a check? Wow. Um, I mean, obviously what David Cameron did with a pig. 
Um, but these, like, the Bullington Club, and just remember, people who were doing that when they were 18, 19, 20, 21, they're in power now. They literally have, they are responsible for um, all of our public funding. Like, they're responsible for everything. And they burned £50 notes in front of homeless people. Like, that they says a lot. given them the money. They don't need it. They could have just given it instead of burning it. I'm just so sick of these people not being held accountable for their previous actions. When really they weren't children. Like, they, it doesn't matter. You have to be held accountable for your previous actions. It doesn't matter how long ago it was. Acknowledge what you did. Apologise. Exactly. And sort of make it right. Exactly. Um, and I think just one thing that really infuriates me um especially with in regards to like tories and conservative mps um they've never worked a day in their lives they are overwhelmingly majority all privately educated from very affluent families heirs to vast amount of wealth uh, yeah never worked a day in their life yet they're presiding over a predominantly working class country so uh, literally what are you thinking is going to happen are we thinking suddenly we're going to have you know an increased welfare state suddenly like um nhs is going to extend its services like of course not that's not what's going to happen because we live in a class society with a classist government um and just kind of um one one final point um in regards to classism and um, how relevant it is to our everyday lives, uh, one aspect is Grenfell. Um, I think Grenfell is a prime example of how classism is alive and well in this country. Um, for, so for people who don't know, Grenfell Tower was a social housing block tower in London in the borough of Kensington, um, which is the second richest borough in the UK after Westminster, I believe. And they, you know, they never, they didn't care about any of the residents in the lift before the the fire. But they literally, if lifts didn't work, they would report it to, you know, Kensington um, Council, which is, you know, the second richest. And nothing would happen. They complained about the fire alarms not working. Before the fire, nothing happened. But when it came to sticking up cladding on the outside of the tower to make it more palatable to see for its richer constituents that flammable death trap cladding went up in flames in no time at all and like residents complained about fire alarms residents complained about lifts but when it came to the cladding they put that up straight away to appease the richer constituents and i and i think that that really says a lot um and on the 14th of june 2017 72 innocent people were killed um by a fire that that engulfed the whole tower um, and that was because the flammable cladding allowed the fire to spread, you know, like a hundred times quicker. Um, and, you know, the government at the time, the Conservative government who were responsible for this cladding, giving contracts out to these cladding companies. Um, the government at the time, I mean, I, I remember this like yesterday, the government at the time were just, you know, denying all kind of responsibility, accountability. They blamed the residents. They blamed firefighters, the only people actually going in, going saving in people, there. putting out the fire. Um, and if you and I, the image will never leave my mind, obviously, because this building was on fire for days afterwards. It took them days to put out the fire in the first place. And pe the fire happened at like 3 a.m. People were asleep. Um, and I think it, anyway, um, it's horrible. All I can remember, all I want to say is like how Stormby said, Theresa May, where's the money for Grenfell? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, and obviously the gutter rag press at the time with racist and classist articles um, started trying to um, make the government devoid of responsibility by blaming the residents, um, you know, you know, saying racist things about the residents, saying that. Um, I mean, I remember at the time it was clearly all false, but saying the residents were, um, what do you call it when you 
ex- excessively claim benefits like they were all committing benefit fraud um they were accusing them of, which is all lies but that's how the media was reporting it in order to dehumanize you know 72 people who lost their lives and all the families that were in that block um who were victims to one of the worst injustices of modern history i would honestly say um and even like four years afterwards in 2021 the government still hasn't done anything really to remove this cladding from thousands of other buildings imagine like just going to sleep and you know you have that cladding on on the building you're in um and and why is that because it's working class people in those buildings um and the fact that like um i guess also um the fact that every 14th of every month there are thousands of people silently marching, remembering the 72 lives lost, demanding justice speaks volumes. And um, yeah, I do hope justice does come in the end for all the victims of Grenfell. Um, so, oh, and just a final thing as well. They, they didn't even rehouse people. They did. The government did not even wow. do the very least and rehouse people. There are people still living in hotels. And when I say hotels, it's not like glamorous hotels. It's literally in a single bedroom, shared bathroom with other people in the hotel. Hostel, should I say even. Um, and there's like a family of five living on like with one bed in this hotel. Like it's absolutely deplorable. Um, I think Jam just wanted to touch on one final aspect in classism um, in regards to the algorithm A-level yeah. scandal. So just a quick, quick um quick I'll just go through it no no no, I, no no i mean just a quick like background a levels are the um the exams and the qualifications that you take when you're 16 to 18 in the uk and it qualifies you to get into university and those grades are very important in order for you to go to university okay yeah go on i just want to say in case anyone didn't know <laughs> that that's okay um so f- from what i could see in some articles that i researched also um this pandemic time has been quite awful and I know that some people, students, may not have been able to focus on studies. They might have other worries and it's also not the same than being in a classroom. So I completely understand um, how stressful this situation might have been. And a recent article from The Guardian does say that almost 40% of teacher assessments in England were downgraded. So imagine 40% of results were just change so you could go from having a higher grade to then having a lower grade so that completely changes like your is it UCAS points to go into your your literally your grades to be able to go to the next step of your life to go to university I just thought that was horrible it was seven I think it was 700,000 teacher assessments were lowered by at least one grade and I know our one grade was but one grade actually matters when it comes to finding out where you're going in your next step in life and so that just I felt really sorry for them I really did yeah and it wasn't also like a coincidence that um people who went to Eton um and private schools they weren't affected at all and I think that just really highlights the system that we that we do live in so the next aspect we're going to cover is homelessness um so we have some of the highest rates of homelessness ever in this country's history. I'm talking about the UK. Um, and I was looking at international um, statistics too. And it's also a pretty global increase as well. Um, and just like, why are we so desensitized to other human beings um, that we just walk past them? Like when we see homeless people on the streets, we literally walk past them. We avoid all eye contact, showing absolutely no compassion at all. Um, and just in 2019, 710 
homeless people froze to death, rough sleeping in this country. And I'm sure the figure's also a lot higher now. That was three years ago because obviously the pandemic and the rising levels of poverty in this country. Um, and just to point out, 710 human beings froze to death. Buckingham Palace has 775 rooms. Almost wow. as many as homeless people froze to death. Like, it's absolutely insane to me. And also, according to government statistics, there are 648,000 houses and properties that are vacant, that are empty in the UK. Completely vacant, completely empty. And 280,000 people in this country are homeless. So we could easily home those people in the, in you know, we could hope, like, provide them homes three times over um you know the huge number of vacant properties is mostly down to you know rich um i guess landlords and people who are in property um buying property to sell or international millionaires buying properties in different countries um and then obviously keeping that house vacant and empty so then housing when housing prices do increase um they'll have you know make a profit um, I think this is literally why we we need to destroy capitalism. That's, that's just literally why. Um, I never realized this until the other day. Um, but you know, like the newly made benches in public areas, um, so made by this Tory government, they all have armrests. They have like two armrests in between them, and that's so homeless people can't sleep on them. Imagine, Im- that's imagine like making benches like with arm, just so homeless people can't you know sleep like is. It's so disgusting to me. Um, And obviously there are really horrible classist stereotypes that somehow try to justify homeless people being homeless, but nothing justifies it. And it's as simple as that. Like not one person in this world should be homeless and especially not in the sixth largest economy in the world. Uh, We should not be having people freezing to death when they're rough sleeping. Um, And also I think like... um, particularly like if we're talking about um homeless people generally like we we know for a fact that oh sorry i heard a strange noise <laughs> sorry, sorry i didn't know what that noise was um but when talking about homeless people like we are all one bad year away one medical issue away one lost job away from complete financial ruin like we should have a system that will ensure we will always have a roof over our heads, food on the table, the ability to study for free, have access to free healthcare. Everyone is entitled to that. Um, and we aren't like, I know a lot of people really disassociate themselves from homeless people and they try to say like, um, they really try to demonize the homeless person or say, oh, you know, we know the stereotypes. I'm not going to air them, but um, literally if one relative, like I know particularly like in some people's instances, if one of their relatives, one of their parents died, um they could become homeless and i I was watching this documentary and um a lot of young people are homeless just because they've had a a parent die um and that's why they're homeless and it's not because of any other reason um and that's why we have obviously two hundred eighty thousand people in this country who are homeless and it's not because of any other stereotypes that we hear so the next aspect that we're going to cover is monarchy um so i just wanted to quickly jump through this because this podcast is getting a bit long jam um, right. <laughs> um so when i was younger i watched this documentary um about how the queen um she had 
two cousins. Um, well, she actually has a lot of cousins anyway, but she has two particular cousins um, who had learning disabilities. Um, and that's obviously because of the monarchy and the really messed up notions of blue blood um, and only, you know, procreating with blue blood. And obviously that is code word for... Um, incest. Incest. I was about to say inbreeding. <laughs> <laughs> that is code word for incest. Um, anyway... So the queen had these two cousins and they had severe learning disabilities um, and they were banished to this asylum where they were severely mistreated, beaten. Until their dying day, they were in this asylum. Um, and the, the, how they were treated was just shocking. Um, and, how, and, you know, in this documentary, they would say how every time the queen came onto the TV, like during her coronation or whatever, whatever whenever she came onto the TV screen um, or the Jubilee, whatever, um, they would stand, they would curtsy, they would give full respects. And obviously the, the comparison in the different lives they're both having, the queen is living a life of luxury. And meanwhile, her cousins, her own family, because of really horrific um, mindsets that are attached to the monarchy, um, because of that, they're literally being mistreated, beaten um, in this horrific mental asylum. Um, I think that speaks volumes and also just generally like why are my taxes going towards members of the Hitler youth um go look up the queen's husband please um and is it philip phil yeah Good yeah, yeah phil. No. <laughs> it's go look up phil i just i can't really bother to keep up with the royal family i really don't think the monarchy should exist um but yeah, go look up his family's links and his links to the Hitler Youth, the Nazi Party. is shocking. Why are my taxes going towards paedophiles? Like, Prince Andrew, we know exactly what he's done. Like, we know he wasn't in a pizza express in Woking. Like, we know, ex <laughs> we know exactly what he's done. And how why are we still funding his lifestyle? Like, it's just something that makes me so angry. Um, like, the monarchy shouldn't exist. The queen literally has no power whatsoever. She's literally just there as a tourist object. I mean, she does have the royal assent, which is um, any bill that the government passes, the queen has to give the royal assent. But she has no choice in choosing. To, I mean, like, she just has to give it. So there's literally no point to her even existing anymore. Um, and all it does is, re like, represents this country's despicable colonial past, represents this class, like, this country's disgusting class system. Um and they get anywhere between 80 to 100 million pounds in a single year for their lifestyle. Wow. And there are 4 million kids in poverty. Like, why are we spending so much money on them? These parasites, literal parasites. Um, so, yeah, I'm just going to jump to the next subject. Well, aspect, because it's kind of interlinked, intertwined. Um, so that is in regards to monarchy, colonialism and the British Museum. And I just wanted to hand this over to Janf the crown jewels oh yes so the one thing that i wanted to say is i think a lot of the jewels that the queen has in like her crown and things like that they're all basically not actually from here so which is kind of crazy so like for example the kula nur is a diamond from it's an indian gem and um the fact that i mean i'm it's just kind of crazy because she it was obviously taken from where it's supposed to be and she just has it in her possession along with other things that they have in their possession that may not fully belong to them and it just irritates me because it reminds it well it reminds me personally of a time when they went over there and they took things and that weren't necessarily then and theirs and the amount of pain that they sort of left behind 
Um, like, I mean, let's not forget what Churchill said about Indians. I mean, like breeding like rabbits. So, I mean, that sort sort of shows their viewpoint on us. Yet they took from us. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does make sense. Um, and I think just kind of. I mean, when we think about the royal family's legacy, all I think about is the horrific colonial legacy, the classist legacy. All I think about is the Queen and that family just thinking everyone else below them is peasants. Um, and, yeah, I just, I can't, I can't bring myself to understand why my tax money is going towards, like, funding Prince Andrew, the paedophile's lifestyle. I can't get over that, Jennifer. I'm going to have to move on because I could talk about that all day. Arrest <laughs> Prince Andrew. Arrest Prince Andrew. Maybe for another podcast in yeah. more detail. <laughs> another um, podcast. Yes. Another thing I wanted to mention was, this is something that I picked up on when I was in primary school was in maps in globes and etc why is Africa so small when we know how big Africa actually is and that's the kind of thing that shocked me like when I had that epiphany or when someone told me that actually you know and they make Europe massive exactly it's actually quite big you know and I just didn't believe them I was like look how small it is how is it how is it as big as you're telling me and then growing up I sort of realized well, that's why they just, you know, that's why they're doing it. The amount of pain and the amount of bloodshed that happened in Africa and the amount of, like, who went in there, like, Portugal, Spain, France, England, who went in there and sort of took specific places of Africa and caused all that pain. It just irritated me because it just it brought me onto that bigger picture of why should we, why is it so small? It just irritated me. Sorry, it's a bit of a tangent. No, no, I agree with you. Um, I think also the fact that um, people don't realise like if it weren't for colonialism Africa would be the richest continent on earth Um, the resources they have I remember reading something how um, the Congo um, so they're like national river um, like if they put um, hydroelectricity plants all around the river they could literally provide electricity for all of Africa just from the hydroelectricity on that specific river Um, I mean, it's just, it just says a lot. That's how much colonialism has left an impact to this day. I mean, go look at a map from like 100 years ago, 200 years ago. It's going to be consider- like considerably different to the map you'll see today. And that's because like colonial powers, predominantly UK, France, Belgium, Spain, Portugal, Turkey, Italy, um, and other colonial powers, they, they drew up borders to suit their own national interests. Yeah. So during colonialism and post-colonialism, like look up the Scramble for Africa, for example, or even the Sykes-Picot Agreement, those colonial powers drawing borders, ignorant of colonised and indigenous peoples, ethnicities, tribes, languages, cultures, um, drawing borders that have massively affected those countries to this day. Um, and also, you know, creating this kind of global north, global south divide. Um, I think we'll go more into this into um, in our next or yeah. future podcast. Sneaky, sneaky spoiler. So the next aspect is media. Um, I'm going to jump to um, something that's quite revealing to how UK media and press runs. Um, so I'm going to hand it over to Janv. Okay, okay. Um, so we know recently, um, with the news coming from Buckingham Palace, that um, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle have sort of stepped down from their roles. Um, As all the monarchy should do, step down, you parasites. <laughs> so it made me think about if I was Meghan and sort of the things that they've 
have been saying about her I just I'd feel so hurt I'd be so upset and the fact about how they also portrayed Kate so I've got some articles here um comparing them this these are two articles from the Daily Mail um the first one the first one is about Kate so the first title is not long to go pregnant Kate tenderly cradles her baby bump cradles sorry her baby bump while wrapping up her royal duties ahead of maternity leave so that's one right that's in 2018 and then we get 2019 and this is the article they wrote about Meghan why can't Meghan Markle keep her hands off her bump experts tackle the question that has got the nation talking is it pride vanity acting or a new age bonding technique like what in the hell their hands are the same I can see the pictures in front of me they're the same it's just painting her out to be someone that she isn't and then there's um Kate's morning sickness cure Prince William gifted with an avocado for pregnant duchess and then from this is from Express and then Express also wrote an article on Meghan Markle saying Meghan Markle's beloved avocado linked to human rights abuse and drought millennial shame why why like why are they saying this about her it just shocks me and the last one that irritated me was actually um when Kate or what do we call her Duchess um she basically set had flowers at her wedding which is normal why can't express again why you can always say it with flowers a floral code popular in Victorian times make a comeback thanks to our royal newlyweds and then express then wrote an article about Meghan Markle's flowers and wrote Meghan Markle married Prince Harry in a stunning ceremony watched by millions but their nuptials may have put bridesmaids including princess charlotte lives at risk it's just crazy the comparison of how they try to portray her and i feel sorry for her i'm sorry that that's how she got treated when she all she wanted to do was you know marry someone no i agree and clearly it has kind of like sexist and racist connotations to it as well um which i feel is like one of the main reasons they're attacking Meghan markle but i feel like also at the same time like um whenever they want to divert public attention away from something like we've seen today, you know, the news all come out about Matt Hancock, um, who, I mean, what is his role? I mean, what is his actual, I mean, I know he's an MP. Isn't he health secretary? Let me just quickly Google Matt Hancock. Yeah. He's the secretary. He's health secretary. I need to trust myself more. Anyways, um, (laughs) he's the health secretary and we all know that he, um, it's all come out and there's a big investigation into how he's given crony contracts to his best friends. Um, he's given all these, you know, billion pound um, contracts, medical contracts to his besties who have absolutely no experience in the medical field whatsoever. And they've literally just, you know, taken the money and spent it on God knows what. Um, and the media literally diverts and goes on to Meghan Markle. To be honest, I can't, what was even the news about Meghan Markle that she's leaving the the royal family they're just going on like that god they've mentioned that so many times now um but they literally just you know milked it even more and just started going on about it more to distract people from you know the absolute scandal and what Matt, yeah on. exactly and what this government they, is actually doing they sort of use her as like a scapegoat for their problems and if they don't want to write about the real stuff that's going on because they know it's something that will kind of um rile people up and the way they write about it um yeah, and if anything, Meghan Markle was something that's like a good addition. I mean, I really hate the royal family. I don't really think they should exist. Um, and they're all parasites. But like, so Meghan Markle was something that the royal family and 
um, you know, old norms needed to embrace. She, she's divorced, you know, ends the stigma around, you know, marrying a divorced woman. She, um, she's a proud black woman as well. Um, and those are all, you know, aspects that needed to be embraced. Um, I mean, do you remember the, I mean, all the news articles about her shutting her own car door? Yeah. I mean, bloody hell. I just, every time, every time I read about it, they I just They really think... wanted to paint her out to be a, a villain, and I, I was just I was so sick of it. We don't even know her personally. Behind closed doors, she may be a really horrible person, she may be a really nice person, that's fine. But we shouldn't be coming to conclusions based on what she looks like, and based on just her background of obviously previously being divorced and just her history in general we it just irritated me i just couldn't deal with but it also i just don't really care like i really don't care <laughs> about what the royal family are doing i really like i really just don't care so why are they even reporting about it in the first place okay if she's doing something serious something for a charitable cause raising awareness for a specific injustice um which she did do with grenfell and that's one of the amazing things she did do she used to go to the community ki- um community kitchen um, with Grenfell residents and she used to do a lot of good work there like if it's something like that okay I don't mind reading about it but about her shutting her own bloody car door like, I don't care um, anyways should we go on to next yeah oh no I didn't go about the general election should I quickly okay. say that yeah yeah go ahead okay sorry this editing is going to be horrible I'm so sorry no that's fine So one of the other aspects of media was the 2019 general election. Um, And just, you know, briefly, because I know we've touched on this before, just how we saw every newspaper, every, you know, kind of press outlet in this country just ravage Corbyn, literally call him a vampire that needs to die. Like that was literally on newspapers front covers. Um, You know, they just wrote the the unimaginable um, in order to sway an election. And we know the media played a big role in swaying the election. It's a fact and it's deplorable and it's undemocratic. Um, And just, you know, a final note, I just, I mean, I did mention this last time, but just to touch on it again, why are press barons or people who own huge proportions of British media having holidays with prime ministers? I mean, I just don't know how, in in what world people think that's normal. Um, And why are, you know, like, for example, Tony Blair, why is he the godfather of press barons? children like it just doesn't make any sense to me at all um that just reminds me of a quick story um i will make this very quick um okay so tony blair let's let's begin so basically um when i was in primary school like around seven or eight um i got sent home being told that tony blair was coming in the next day um and that i had this you know this letter of consent that my parents had to sign so it would be okay to film me on camera um and yeah they were like oh my god tony blair's coming in they sat me on this chair um because i was going to be you know tony blair was coming in with a tv production crew um and they sat me on this chair the whole night before and they were saying like they were telling me you gotta ask these questions you need to ask these questions ask tony why did you invade iraq why are you killing kids my age mr blair why did you invade iraq was it for oil was it for oil um and just to remember all these questions um i literally remember it so vividly i was actually sat on this chair and they were both just sitting and like telling me all these questions um and they they even said to me like um usually you should listen to your teachers but today you ignore them you keep asking these questions especially when the cameras are rolling make sure there's a red light cameras are rolling 
<laughs> keep asking these questions. Um, so after a whole night of remembering these questions, um, I went in the next day, and um, guess who comes into my class? Mr. Blair. <laughs> Vincent Bloody Cable. Oh, no. There was a miscommunication. Oh. It was Vincent Cable, who's a Liberal That's Democrat MP. I know, and I was really disappointed. And like, <laughs> when they picked me up, they're like, "Did you tell? Did you tell him? Did you tell him? Did you tell him all the questions?" I was like, "No, it was Vincent Cable." <laughs> but oh, I was God. so ready. But I know, like, if I had kids, and like, if I, I would, I, I would do that as well. I would, I would literally do the same it's thing. It's good to start them young <laughs> exactly exactly and they kind of told me you know as much as a seven-year-old needs to know but they did talk like you know i felt it was justified even as a child um and but even like a decade later like i still had the chance to go have a go at um vincent cable did were you with me on that college trip to parliament nope oh it must have been that politics trip anyway we we visited um like the houses of parliament and um so it was I don't know what to call him. You know who my politics teacher was? Beard, Beard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know what to call him. I'm going to call him Ken. So basically, <laughs> oh, Keith, Keith, Keith. Right. So basically, um, I went into this trip and we got to meet an MP. We got a tour around the House of Commons, around the House of Lords. And then we got to have a sit down talk with an MP. And the MP was Vincent Cable. Um, and yeah, I just felt a bit gutted that I didn't really have any, like, any ammunition for him when I was eight. So I just kind of went for him <laughs> there and then. I knew kind of what he was responsible for. I knew, I knew that he voted to um, bomb Syria. I knew that he was kind of pro-Israel as well. Um, anyway, I also knew that as Shadow... Um, was it Shadow Defence Secretary? Because this was during the, the Lib Dem and right, Conservative okay. Coalition. Um, he sold arms to Saudi Arabia that were used on Yemeni civilians. So I literally went for him. I'm like, why did you sell arms to Saudi Arabia? And then he was like, I don't think you know what you're talking about. I was like, yeah, oh, I think I do. He was really patronising and really condescending. And Keith was literally like, Parishes, Parishes. we're not going to be, we, we won't get another trip. Shh. <laughs> <laughs> so the next aspect we wanted to touch upon um, is transphobia. Um, Jamie, do you want to take it away? Yes. So this is a very relevant topic. Um, the recent article from 2000 I believe 2019 um, mentions that the number of transgender hate crimes recorded by police forces has risen by 81% and that's um, one of the latest figures that suggests that um, the BBC showed that there was 1,944 crimes across 36 forces which is a lot I just I, I don't understand where that sort of hatred comes towards I think it's just wrong and to sort of further um, your knowledge on transphobia and just the sort of violence and hatred that comes along with that, please watch the Marsh- Marsha P. Johnson documentary. I think that's on Netflix um, and the Monroe Bergdorf documentary as well. It's just a good way for you to sort of learn more um, and educate yourself on a topic you may not already know. Um, and then there's that whole thing in regards to Piers Morgan and his ig- ignorance regarding the toilets he was basically like belittling people and terms um that we that we really should be using more and um yeah he was it was really horrific and i mean what what should we expect like from a um well-off white cisgender white male do you know what i mean like yeah. what are we gonna expect he won't, he won't someone who privileges like from the system um but also i just wanted to briefly briefly touch upon um turfs 
Um, it was the first time I came across them um, in the Monroe Bergdorf documentary on Channel 4. Um, and TERFs is an acronym and it stands for Trans Exclusionary Radical Feminists. Um, I've never seen like, it's just horrific, to be honest. I don't know how you can like call yourself a feminist and then you're going to be against women because trans women are women. So how are, are you a feminist then? Um, and also the fact of like, um, they're spending all these like all this money, all this time on these events where they're just obviously being exclusionary to trans women and trans people. Um, and focus on the real feminist issues. Women are actually really suffering with real issues. Like, it just makes me so angry. Um, yeah, anyway, watch the documentaries when yeah. you can. Netflix and Channel 4. I'm sure you can pr- probably find them on YouTube as well. Um, but do watch them when you can. So the next aspect is climate change. Um, climate change is something that affects every single person on this earth, every single animal, every single person, literally everything, everyone. Um, and just something that we really wanted to touch on was um, air pollution. Like a lot of people really don't know about it. I know I didn't know about it until um, I watched a certain documentary on it. Um, but 70 people a day are dying just in London from air pollution. And that's 9,400 people a year in London alone. That's over 8 million people globally. It's well over 8 million, by the way, globally dying from air pollution. We have nine out of 10 people on earth breathing in harmful pollutants. Um, I watched a documentary, uh, I believe it's on Channel 4, might have been Dispatches, about Ella Adu Kissy Deborah. Um, She was a nine-year-old girl in London who died from air pollution. Um, And obviously kids are predominantly the ones dying from air pollution in those figures that I just said, because obviously they're still developing their organs, their lungs are still developing. Um, and obviously when you are in um, such a toxic environment in terms of um, how much pollution there is in London, um, of course, there's going to be a huge volume of deaths. And this documentary showed how, how many children are dying from air pollution and how many of those same children, like when they did like a post-mortem and investigated their bodies, um, they literally pulled out black lungs. Wow. Like all of their lungs were literally just black. Um, and I used to go to university in central London and every time I would come home, I would literally have to blow out my nose because it was just full of like black pollution literally every single day. Wow. Um, I don't know how there's not, you know, there's really nothing being done about it. Um, Like, literally the air in London is deadly. And some of that, like, it's getting to the extent where it's going to become irreversible. And we really need to do something about it um, whilst we can do something about it. Um, And we just briefly wanted to touch on um, the term global warming. So Mm. a few years ago, during the George Bush and Dick Cheney presidency, um, they actually were discussing with their kind of publicity teams um, that they should change the term global warming to climate change because global warming is more alarming when you first hear it. And they didn't want people to be alarmed by it because obviously climate change. And if we wanted to take, you know, climate justice, that would really affect the pockets of corporations. Um, So they kind of, you know, pushed all these different countries, publicity teams to therefore refer to it as climate change. Um, which isn't really shocking from, you know, George Bush Mm -hmm. and Dick Cheney, (coughs) war criminals. (coughs) And um, so, you know, with more desert, I can't even say this word. I've got it in my mind. Desertification. (laughs) (laughs) 
obviously with that and um, rising sea levels, we have climate change refugees. We literally have people becoming refugees because of climate change. Um, On Isle Dijon Charles, um, it's home to the Biloxi, Chimacha, Choctaw band of Native Americans who lost 90, 98% of its land since 1955 and its 99 remaining residents have been dubbed America's first climate refugees. Um, and there's literally just a little strip of it left. Um, and note that it's Native Americans, it's indigenous mm. peoples. They're the first ones to suffer when they're the ones contributing the least to climate change. You know, we have a lot to learn from indigenous people, the way in which they live. You know, they view themselves as guardians and carers of the land and they live sustainably rather than just people and corporations who, you know, are just depleting all of our resources yeah. and are literally depleting and destroying our earth for profit, living in a way that is not sustainable, living up until a point that's irreversible. Um, yeah, I just want to hand it to Janvi about um, what happened in Australia and Amazon. Yes. So, um, the obviously what happened with the Australia fires, the fact that billions of, well, I didn't realise it was billions at first because I was researching, billions of animals killed and displaced because of the fires, um, not to mention in the Amazon fires as well, more than two million animals were killed and the indigenous people and the tribes were displaced. It's just, so it's a lot of things going on at the moment. It's just sort of like, all these deaths that could have been avoided or why is this happening it just it's too much in the the fact that the indigenous people had to move from their home and you know their land to another area sort of speaks to how concerning it actually is and how it does affect actually all of us um another thing that i want to discuss in also the global warming aspect is the fact that so obviously there's the coral bleaching where the reefs lose their vital nutrients so they can't even sustain the uh, the ecosystem that actually develops on them Um, and there's also the concern of overfishing Um, so I mean too much of it can be bad for the coral reefs obviously and um, when you're removing some of the fishes the fish actually eat the well the algae or the algae however you want to say it and help keep the ecosystem in balance so um, I'm looking at something now that basically just tell educates it basically tells you to educate yourself on local fishing rules and regulations and um, your state fishery agency or bait and tackle shop um, make sustainable seafood choices um, only take what you need this is for people who catch and release to be fair that that might not apply to everyone um, but just being aware of where you know if overfishing and um, how that's actually affecting the waters as well um, yeah that's Anything else to add, Farah? I think I just wanted to add as well, like just from one personal experience. um, Once I was in a class, um, got out to politics class in college, college again. um, But I was in a politics class um, and we were talking about the Narmada Dam, um, which was a dam that was built in India and um, how it would displace loads of indigenous people. And... um, and I was just in shock. Like it was something like it was going to, I can't remember the exact figure, but I know it's something around 4 million people. It would displace 4 million people. And those 4 million people are indigenous people. They rely on the land for their livelihoods. They, they live sustainably. Like people need to not undermine the intrinsic connection between indigenous people, land and their livelihoods. Like that's, you know, that is how they live their life. And if they're uprooted from that, you know, that's, that's their entire lives gone. Do you know what I mean? Um, 
so we so it's, my lecturer said like four million people are going to be displaced and this boy i'm going to call him tony i actually think that might be his real name <laughs> anyway so basically tony said in the back of the class he was literally like so what they're just people in huts that's horrible i actually couldn't believe I, I, I like my hand is literally shaking now i like i actually couldn't believe he said that like well, um, it just irritates me because one life is not worth more than the other we are all humans we're all equal it doesn't matter where you live where you've come from we're equal we shouldn't matter more than other people we should all matter the same because we're all the same we have to think that one struggle affects all of us do you know what I mean? But like, is this also this together. gross like ignorance and feeling of superiority over exactly. indigenous people when indigenous people like we have so much to learn from indigenous people um and i remember watching something um about the aboriginal first nations community in australia um and how they can tell um the seasons from certain star movements in the sky and like there's so many things like we can learn from indigenous people especially you know right now when we're talking about climate justice and living sustainably um they really need to be the ones at the forefront um, and telling us what we need to do, to be honest. And we just need to listen and do it um, because it's affecting them more than it's affecting everyone else right now. Um, And yeah, they deserve to be at the forefront. So the next aspect we're going to talk about is refugees, detention, ICE, Aylan Kurdi, Calais. Um, And just to start on the note that why do we not question how inherently unfair and racist it is that some passports can visit countries and some can't? Some people have to apply for visas, some people don't. All based on the geographical lottery that you're born into and have no control over. Like, why why are British people who live abroad called expats and people who are from another country who come here called immigrants? Like, it's it's nonsensical. It doesn't make sense. and why specifically um so when i was in school we did like a day trip to calais um and why as a coach i went to a girls school um and why as a coach of british schoolgirls, can we travel freely from calais to dover yet refugees and other people seeking safety survival and for whatever reason are being tear gassed are being beaten by french police in the calais camp um it's just it's incomparable trying to think that another day like i remember um i've been to france since and i was just thinking like right now i'm in duty free and there are people in calais camp who can't come literally just because of the passport i hold and why do i have that privilege and some people don't um and just i guess another kind of um another kind of situation or headline um was Alan Kurdi, um, who was a young Syrian boy, um, and um, he was seeking a better life, and he made the journey um, across the Mediterranean to try to get to Europe, um, obviously fleeing um, what's happening in Syria, and he drowned and he was washed up on a Turkish shore, and there was literally an image, and I'll never forget it. Like he literally was, his body was washed up on the shore. Um, like his, it was, it was really it was a horrific image and you could see the lifeguard like the sadness in the lifeguard like having to pick him up um but yeah that was something that really um that really shocked me as well and i guess the demonization of the press after that they kind of were trying to demonize the family and um it was just something that was so unsettling for me like people are dying in the search of a better life like it's not even in the times of a better life but like mere survival look what's happening in syria when i was like maybe uh god how old was i 
Okay, so a few years ago, I can't even remember how old I was, but a few years ago, I literally had, um, I, I used to make YouTube videos cringe, but I had this um, cardboard um, sign and there was a big picture of Alan Kurdi on it. And I just wanted to like, obviously um, speak on the media's negative coverage of the refugee crisis. Um, and I had a megaphone and I was just shouting all these um, statistics. And this one woman came up to me and she was like, oh, they're cowards. They're cowards for coming here. They're cowards. They should fight. They should fight. And I literally just looked at her, I'm like, how are they supposed to fight bombs? I'm sorry, like, how are you like, supposed to fight a bomb dropping on your house oh in the middle God. of the night? And mo- and a lot of like, you don't children- have any gravity a lot of the situation. Children. What are they supposed to do? Exactly. Exactly. Um, and, yeah, that was just something that really, really shocked me at the time. Um, do you want to yes. go into the ice so segment? I'm going to sort of briefly i'll obviously link it in our link to further details anything we talk about um but ice is um something that's from the united states of america it stands for immigration and customs enforcement um obviously everything came out um about the fact that many children were separated from their parents so from an article that i took the statistics from it said 1030 children were removed from their parents um and then it also just says that parents of 545 children still not, they still can't be found three years after the Trump separation policy. And I just think that's so shocking. Like, imagine as a child getting separated from your parents, literally the only people that you know if you're a young kid, basically. The people that you depend on that are there to protect you and then they're just taken away from you. What are you supposed to do? And what are the conditions that the children are being kept in without their parents? And sort of see in the videos that they've posted of families like reuniting so children reuniting with their parents and the amount of pain that they're in and they're crying and it just sort of it it broke my heart to see that to be honest i don't it definitely shouldn't have happened and i don't know why it happened which is just disgusting yeah and just on the notion as well like america is a settler colony based on immigrants from england from i know especially from france and all these european countries like how dare you like try and say which immigrants can come and which immigrants can't do you know what i mean Um, also there's this video that went viral a few years ago of this native american man um and there was a huge like uh, anti-immigration rally of all these like racists and skinheads and the native american guy he's literally just pushing his child in a pram walking past he turns around because he's like in disbelief what they're protesting about he's like well you're all immigrants you're all immigrants this is my country and i was like yes you tell them i couldn't believe like um just the the sheer ignorance of it to be honest um but also like in regards to ice like i i I have a few um relatives and friends in america and they would tell me like ice agents would be deployed to like shopping centers and shopping malls um and just going off people who look like they might not you know who are not white basically and asking them for id and then try and, and then they would take them to an ice facility if they couldn't provide ID, even despite like even despite if they were you know born and raised there, they had the right documents, whatever. Um, they would like they would arrest them and put them in an ice facility, like it's absolutely insane. And holding kids in cages, making them drink toilet water, sexually assaulting, raping inmates as well. Um, it's it's just disgusting. Um, but also like I don't know how to pronounce this. Nauru, Nauru, N A U are you um it's an island uh, off the coast of australia and um it's basically 
a detention center island um let's let's talk about the the settler colony of australia a penal colony um so a colony of british prisoners and criminals who brutally like brutally ethnically cleansed and colonized australia's indigenous people the aboriginal people being the oldest civilization on earth going back 60,000 years not to mention, didn't they sort of take the um well they probably used a different word for that then but the mixed race kids and sort of put them into a white families to sort of do you, know, do you know what i mean like sort of the stolen yes, generation yes that's what i mean so they sort of um try to you know bring them into white families so that eventually the the native blood in them would be sort of gone yeah that was like an australian government policy um and it wasn't even that long ago and they had this policy where they would essentially kidnap aboriginal first nation children and place them into white families in an attempt to quote unquote outbreed them um so this so you can kind of get an idea for the country that well the settler colony that australia is um and this settler colony so you know a colony founded on the ideas of white immigration um they have detention centers on islands like nauru and just imagine like holding people prisoner in these brutal detention centers like kids commit suicide in these um, detention centres, a country based on white immigration mm. as the only goal. Like, this is the country we're living in. They literally, I can't even imagine, like, um, I watched a documentary on it. I, as you can tell, I watched a few documentaries. <laughs> um, but I watched a documentary on it, and um, it was, honestly, it was just, like, heartbreaking. It was shocking. Um, it's especially crazy. when it comes to countries that are, like, they're based off immigration. Like, it's just something that just does not make any sense to me. It personally just sort of upsets me when it happens to the native people who are literally just sort of minding their business. I saw some, well, I was reading an article um, about Australia and it mentions that over the past three decades, more than 400 native people have died in custody. And I don't think anyone was sort of held accountable for that. And um, the more than half the children in juvenile detention in Australia are natives. And it's kind of crazy because the article also said that the Indigenous Australians make up less than 3% of the population, yet they represent more than a quarter of adult prisoners. So it's just kind of shocking to read those statistics. Um, And it just sort of upsets me. They're just minding their own business, trying to live their lives. And then somebody comes along and just ruins it. Yeah, I agree. Um, And the figures are really shocking. And the ways in which they're kind of demonized they're cut off from society um and it's just their it's their land like it's just absolute insanity to me and um there's a really incredible activist his name is bruce shillingsworth um he is a first nations man um and uh he's from um he's from australia and well he's actually you know native from australia and um he does a lot of work and I'd recommend just looking him up as well. He does a lot of work when it comes to um, how indigenous people rely on um, the land, how they rely on the environment, how they live sustainably and how Australian companies. So obviously white settler companies, corporations have completely depleted all natural resources in where he's from and other parts of Australia as well. Um, And they've completely caused like animals to become extinct, which obviously sets off the whole ecosystem balance. Um, and I'll just definitely recommend just um, looking up his work and what he does. So the next aspect is corporations. Um, I think we just wanted to jumpstart with um, 
the HIV drug patent. Um, so me and Janvi in college, <laughs> uh, when we were in college, we watched this documentary um, and it was about how um, the individual who created the um, HIV drug, which doesn't actually, well, HIV AIDS doesn't actually cure it. It just prolongs the life of anyone who has it. Um, and they would have to take this drug for their entirety of their lives. Um, he specifically put a patent onto this drug so only he um would make money from it and other and he would literally charge extortionate prices and other companies who um before he put the patent they would actually they they got kind of the i don't know what you'd call it the recipe what would what would you call the... it please don't ask me i don't know <laughs> the ingredient <laughs> the medical the, formula yeah, the medical, medical formula, formula. So they, they, they knew the medical formula um, for this drug and they would create it, all these companies, specifically Thai companies. Um, and these companies in Thailand would re- would like recreate it and they would sell it for a significantly cheaper. So then pe- all people with, um, with HIV AIDS could afford to take this drug and live. Um, so that's when he placed the patent on it. And I, me and Jamie just remember in this documentary when he was successful in getting this patent, he was smiling with the most evil smile. Like, it was just so disturbing because it's just so evil. Like, people will die of something that they don't have to die from just because they can't afford something or they can't afford the drug to prolong their life. Like, it's just so disturbing. thing that I want to say about um, HIV drug costs is the Congresswoman Alexandra ocasio Ocasio-Cortez or AOC um, she well not recently 2019 um, posed a question for a major drug company she mentioned to the CEO I think it's of Gilead or Gilead um, she said you're the CEO of Gilead is it true that Gilead made three billion in profits from Truvada in 2018 so why is it that they're making the cost of um HIV drug which is Truvada why why is it costing thousands of dollars for people to obtain it when it's basically a basic medical right to be able to prolong their life that just irritated me so I just wanted to add that in because that I mean she's right and you know in that sense and the next thing about Johnson and Johnson they were actually um were told to pay I think it was 4.7 billion damages in the talc cancer case so um they had to pay that damages to, I think it was 22 women who alleged that the talc products caused them to develop ovarian cancer. And it's just kind of shocking that like, these things, you're literally using them on um, your kids, Babies. on yourself. And apparently of the 22 women represented, six died from ovarian cancer. So that's in itself is kind of shocking. That's something that you're putting on yourself, putting on your babies. You shouldn't have to sort of worry about the things that you're using. It's just, to me, when I read that, I was just very shocked at that yeah and now johnson and johnson are creating a covid19 vaccine i know that's the vaccine i will not be taking be i'll be take any literally i'll take any other one apart from johnson and johnson um but also again like teflon teflon oh god they created this kind of chemical compound um that causes cancer that causes other diseases that completely destroys the environment as well um as it's this compound that can just never be um it, it never decomposes, basically. Um, and it's also an important figure um, to note that 70% of global emissions come from just 100 corporations. Like, corporations, like, I just can't believe that they literally have no limits. There's kind of no one kind of, um, 
you know, there's no watchdog essentially or anyone holding them to account when they do create products that are killing people or they create products that are, um, you know, using um, resources that are finite essentially. Um, they're completely Honestly, stealing like coal, oil, all of our natural resources. A saying that I heard, which um, always stays with me, is infinite want finite resources. We infinitely want, like, there's no bounds to what people want like money power whatever but there's only finite resources like even when we're talking about overfishing there's only so much we can take before it starts to have a negative impact um yeah so that's sort of always stuck with me that saying and just something to add when it comes to corporations um corporations have this unlimited amount of power they're overrunning governments prime example of course america um congressmen um congresswomen representatives they they run for office whilst they're ceos of corporations whilst they have shares in corporations or even being sponsored by corporations like Corporations like pharmaceutical pharmaceutical companies who make a profit from overcharging people on their basic health rights, drug companies, arms and guns companies like the NRA, um, oil companies. I mean, we can really see the overstretching corporation power um, just from something in recent history, such as um, the US and UK invasion of Iraq. We know that US Vice President Dick Cheney under George Bush, he had shares in the Halliburton Oil Company. And then purely on the basis to acquire more oil they invaded iraq and they killed one million innocent people and we have to think about that there's literally apart from aoc and the squad there's literally no one calling out how all these politicians have disgusting shares in these really disgusting corporations and um yeah just think about that Final aspect is communism. And just a quick definition of what communism is. It's a system in which all property is owned by the community and each person contributes and receives according to their own ability and needs. Billionaires should not exist. People should not be able to hoard wealth. If you accumulate 50 million pounds, dollars in your lifetime, you still consider yourself rich but you're still 950 million away from a billion. It's hoarding wealth you're incapable of spending, whilst others are homeless, starving, and dying of curable diseases. And then on top of that, they don't pay tax. Also, billionaires, millionaires, they don't earn their wealth. They either inherit it or they exploit the working class and exploit resources. A billionaire isn't working harder than a cleaner. Labour creates wealth. Also, billionaires and millionaires they, they don't care they don't really have a shred of humanity it would cost a small fraction of their wealth to end homelessness yet they don't do it it would cost a fraction of the of their wealth to halt global warming but they still choose not to do it and they could do both and still have the majority of their wealth left over um yeah and just to highlight kind of one point we emphasized earlier we are all one bad year, one medical issue, one last, like one lost job from complete financial ruin. And we should have a system that will ensure we will always have a roof over our heads, food on the table, the ability to study for free and have access to free healthcare. So the final, final note is billionaires can only exist if they coexist with people in absolute poverty. And that's a fact. And if we don't want people in absolute poverty to exist, then billionaires shouldn't exist as well. So that wraps up this podcast. Thank you for listening. If you have any kind of topic ideas or topic suggestions you would like us to cover, you can message us those suggestions on Instagram. Our Instagram is at Revolution Now Podcast. Um, and yeah, I'm Farah.
I'm Jambi. And this was the revolution. Oh, <laughs> and this this was the, the revolution now podcast. <laughs> This is the Revolution Now podcast. Royalty-free music created by us, played by us. Feel free to use it. We won't plagiarise you.